Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duck Stream from the Paul Korea studio. I am your host, Alexis Downey. It has been quite the busy week here at the Anaheim Ducks with the NHL Draft Lottery now in the rearview mirror. It took place on Monday, and certainly there is a lot to discuss from that in today's show. We also had some great guests on in this episode this week that gave their perspective of the evening as well as a lot more on the prospects ahead of the draft. But first, I want to start this episode by saying thank you to everyone who listened to our live draft lottery show. Ken French, Guillet Bear, and myself had a lot of fun live reacting to the action at JT Schmitz with the rest of Ducks fans in attendance. Certainly a roller coaster of emotions that evening was seeing how none of the teams changed in the first 16 to number four in the lottery order. And then things started to change the Columbus Blue Jackets at number three, the Chicago Blackhawks ultimately winning the draft lottery and the Ducks falling to that second spot. Now, this was the third time since 2015 that a number three team jumped to that number one spot. To give you an idea of the other two times that this happened, the Edmonton Oilers getting Connor McDavid in the 2015 draft and then the New Jersey Devils in 2019 getting Jack Hughes at that number one spot. Like I said, the Ducks having the second pick, probably not a surprise for anyone that is listening, as if you've been on Twitter this week, then you know that the Ducks now have the second pick in this year's 2023 NHL draft that is going to be held in June in Nashville at Bridgestone Arena. Honestly, what better place could they have the draft than on Broadway in Nashville in the middle of summer? Yes, it's going to be a thousand degrees, but that town is so much fun, and I can imagine the energy for this draft is going to be off the charts. Now, this is the first time Anaheim will be selecting at number two, going back to 2005 when they chose Bobby Ryan at the second spot. Now, this is also the fourth time overall that Anaheim will be selecting in the top three. The last highest draft pick, you probably know who he is, Mason McTavish, the 2021 third pick overall by the Ducks. And, you know, that worked out pretty well for the team. I think that there is just a lot to be excited about for this draft because the Ducks are in charge here. They're really going to dictate what this draft at the top looks like as they pick number two. It's also really exciting for the franchise because we're heading into our 30th anniversary season next year. What a way to start that with such a high draft pick. But on the other side, I have to address this because I know that there are a lot of hockey fans and a lot of Ducks fans that were very disappointed that we did not get that number one spot in this year's draft. Obviously, probably going to be Connor Bedard, and he likely will be a Chicago Blackhawk. So, yes, I was also disappointed by this. How could you not be? especially with all the hype around Bedard and how he could go in and really change a franchise with all of the talent that he has. But one thing that I want to remind you guys, and if you listen to the live stream, you probably heard this message from Guy, Frenchie, and myself, but one player cannot necessarily change a team. You have to have players around him to build him up and build up a solid, well-rounded team. 
Now, in the case of Connor McDavid, yes, he has changed the Edmonton Oilers, but no, they still haven't got that Stanley Cup the entire time that he has been there. They're still working towards that because they haven't been able to get a fully well-rounded team. Maybe this year could change that as they are looking good in the playoffs, but it is so important to have a full team, not just one guy. And that's the point of the draft. It's to pick players to help build that Stanley Cup team. And you have seven rounds to do it. If you look at our Anaheim Ducks prospect pool, then you can see already the talent that we have taken in not just the first round of past drafts, but the second and on. So like I said, certainly we are winners from this draft. No matter where we had ended up at one, two, or three, the Ducks were going to be winners in this case because the talent level from this top end of this draft this year is very high. And you're going to hear a lot about that in today's interviews because we chatted with Corey Pronman, who shared a lot about each of the prospects that could be available to the Ducks in this draft. He is our first guest for this week. We talked with him on Tuesday, just following the NHL draft lottery. And I really enjoyed the in-depth look that he gave in comparing some of these players available to current NHLers. So take a listen and enjoy this interview. Joining the light, the lamp now is Corey Pronman, the athletic senior NHL prospect writer. Corey, thank you so much for being with us today on DuckStream. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. So let's start, of course, with your initial reaction to the NHL draft lottery, how it played out on, uh, you know, the broadcast. Are you referencing to the, <laughs> uh, the the giveaway there at, 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 in the top three, or are you referencing to the fact that the Anaheim Ducks have the second overall pick? <laughs> um, a little bit of everything. Uh, well, obviously an inconvenient for the NHL, and I think I know people had all kinds of comments on that, and that's an unfortunate slip-up, but I think the process is sound, and there's, and there's no issues uh, with how the lottery works. Uh, I think you know Chicago – basically tearing it down to the to the roots and then getting rewarded with Connor Bedard obviously is a very interesting turn of events. Uh, but And we'll see how he does there in, in, in year one with Chicago, given they don't really have much in that organization, both on the NHL team and, and they have good prospects, but I think there's a lot of building left there to do in Chicago. So we'll see how those first few years of Connor Bedard really go. Uh, but in terms of Anaheim getting the second pick is still a really exciting development. I think you look at the guys that could be available, whether that is Antilly, Leo Carlson, Will Smith, Moffat, Mitchkov, uh, and I think those are all guys that you look at this this core group of players uh, with Mason McTavish, with Trevor Zegras, uh, with Jamie Drysdale, Pavel Mitchkov, and, and some others, and you see, I think, a foundation here that, that could build into a contending team down the line. Were you at all surprised by the way the picks lined up, having really not many changes at all, just at the top? Oh, it's just you know it's a it's a, it's a lottery, so <laughs> any, any any anything can happen. We've seen years where the where the lowest ranked team gets uh, gets number one pick. We've seen years where where, where teams jump up a few slots. Uh, you know, like, I think uh, nothing was that really surprising. The teams with the highest odds should more often than not mm -hmm. win those top players. And it's really only been recently where the odds have been really distributed as much as, as they have. It used to be even better odds uh, for the teams that that had the, the worst seasons. Um, but I think, you know, Anaheim, Columbus, Chicago, they really need those kind of players. So uh, I don't have much issue, much issue with the results. 
Do you think that the show should be done live at all instead of the way that it's recorded beforehand and played out on TV just for maybe the credibility of it? Because I know that's something that people are always talking about, at least on social media. Yeah, and it's a credible process. They do release the every year the the video of how the, the draw went. And I do believe, I think it was the 2021, though, the one during the COVID season where it was uh, Lexi Lafreniere. I think they did that one live, actually, yep. with, the, with, the, with the lottery balls. I think they just do that so they could have the suspense of Bill Daly turning the cards over and stuff like that. I think they like that part of the production more than just uh, a, a ball being shot, shot out of a tube, essentially, in terms of production value. Um, I think the, the process is credible, but I understand why for the average fan who doesn't want to look up that video afterwards and research it, why it, it doesn't uh, always have the greatest impression. Mm-hmm. Well, let's start, of course, with the Chicago Blackhawks getting that number one pick. Obviously, a, a sore subject for Ducks fans, and it seems a lot of hockey fans around the world in the NHL as well, too. But how do you think Bedard will fit in with Chicago, especially because they have stripped down their team so much? I think it changes their off-season plans for sure. I think if they didn't get Bedard, maybe they get Leo Carlson, maybe they get Will Smith, maybe they get somebody else who may or may not be in their lineup next season. I think it's it was more of the same, more of you know uh, you're looking towards the future, trying to get high draft picks uh, and accumulating assets. I think now that you think Connor Bedard's going to be in your top six next season, I think you want to make sure you actually have some credible players around him to play with and guys that, you know, you can, can help him and make sure you're, he's not playing 20% of his shifts uh, in the offensive zone and 80% in his, def- in his defensive zone. So we'll see what they do this offseason to try and get him a little bit more. I don't think they could really change that roster wholeheartedly that much. It's it's really starting from the bottom. He has some good young players, Lucas Reichel on the wing, Kevin Korczynski on defense. Uh, but I still think even if they do add this offseason, I think there's still a long path for this organization to get better. And I think you kind of, you know, saw, you know, even those, though in the, I don't think Bedard rises to the level of Big David, but even you saw those early years of Conor McDavid in Edmonton, it didn't go you know, completely well right away there either. So I think there's still a few years left here uh, for Chicago of either, you know, high draft picks or trying to build an organization around Connor Bedard before they become a playoff contender. Is there anyone that comes to mind in terms of maybe a free agent that Chicago could pick up this summer that could be a good addition for that sake? I think a guy like a Jason Sucker makes a lot of sense, particularly if you're going to play Connor Bedard at center, which I don't think is a guarantee for year one. You saw for a small guy like Jack Hughes, for example, they played New Jersey played him on the wing in, in his first season, but I think different depth charts and Chicago doesn't really have much of center. So let's just pretend Connor Bedard is a center. I think a guy like Jason Sucker makes a lot of sense in terms of a guy who can maybe, uh, you know, play hard, get, get pucks out of the corners, get to the net and let Bedard, uh, you know, take advantage of his skill and his goal scoring ability. Now, for the Anaheim Ducks at the number two pick, they have the opportunity to really control the draft and set the tone at that pick. How much of an impact does that have with how heavy this draft is at the top? Well, I just think there are some really uh, exceptional prospects that will be available at number two, presuming Bedard goes a one. And I think you're going to see both of them play at a really high levels competition over the next couple of weeks and Adam Fantilli with Team Canada and Leo Carlson with Team Sweden at the World Championships. I think that tournament will be a really interesting measuring stick for both of those guys who I think are are absolutely fantastic prospects. You got you to pick one over the other and rate them maybe a little bit differently as well. Uh, he's not going to be at the World Championship, but Will Smith, I think, is also really highly thought of among NHL scouts. The, the U.S. under 18 number one center who was the MVP of the recent 
U18 World Championships. I think those, I think, are the three main guys in the debate them for them there at number two. Do you have any initial thoughts about the fact that the number one and number two picks are going to be playing in the Western Conference? Uh, well, I think it's uh, something that the Western Conference has needed. A lot of the high picks of the last, say, decade, frankly, have gone to the Eastern Conference. So I think it's a good, and I think you're kind of seeing that in the Eastern Conference. There's that's, you know, you looked at the trade deadline, for example, that's kind of where it felt like the powerhouses were because they've had so much high draft capital over the last few years. I think it's maybe, you know, a necessary rebalancing maybe of of, of the of the conference to get those kind of high caliber players like Connor Bedard, maybe like Adam Fantilli into the Western Conference. Now, the last time that the Ducks fell to number two in the draft was the 2005 draft where they took Bobby Ryan, Sidney Crosby being that number one pick. Is there any comparison between these two drafts at all in your mind? I think, guys, I think, uh, you know, Sidney Crosby obviously was a, was a generational prospect and uh, the draw between him to Bobby Ryan was uh, a gigantic gigantic drop i don't see if presuming the second pick is at fantilli which i don't think is a guarantee i don't think the draw from bedard to fantilli is gigantic i think Adam fantilli would be a number one pick in a lot of recent drafts i think he is an he's an absolutely fantastic all-around centerman and I, I again he is not bedard but what bedard has done this season in junior hockey not just this season but in prior seasons is very special uh but i think fantilli is a, is a truly elite prospect as well you talk about how Carlson and Fantilli will be at the World Championship. Do you think that their performance there will play a huge factor into the draft this summer? Uh, I, I don't know if about huge, but I think it's something to monitor mm -hmm. for sure. I think when we, for example, went into the 2016 draft, there was a maybe a debate about whether Patrick Laine was for sure the number two guy, and then he goes to the World Championships and, and lights that tournament on fire, ends up being the number two pick. And I think in a lot of the Eisenman number of scouts, he was the clear top two guy. He would even push Austin Matthews in, in that draft. Obviously, that's not what aged afterwards. Uh, but I think the World Championships, depending on how they perform, if they're both just okay players, you know, middle of the lineup players have good, not great tournaments, I don't think it really changes much. If one significantly outperforms the other, I think that makes it much more interesting, particularly if Carlson somehow outperforms Fantilli significantly. I think mm -hmm. I think most scouts presume Fantilli will be the second pick. If that would happen, maybe that changes the conversation a little bit. But it really depends how the next few weeks go. We've watched these players a ton over the last few years. Uh, we know them very well. I've seen them. At, at you know various events, you know they both played the U18 Worlds a year ago. They both played the World Juniors. This is not the first time they've matched up at the same tournament. Uh, but again, we'll see how the next few weeks go. The World Championships is a very high level competition, and if uh, you know Leo Carlson does very well there, for example, it could potentially uh, change the conversation. Now, in one of your articles recently, you compared each of these prospects to a current NHL player, and I'd kind of like to go through some of those comparisons just to give an idea to Ducks fans that are listening on what these potential players could look like with the Anaheim Ducks. So starting with Adam Fantilli, you had him compared to Jonathan Taves. So why is that? Well, I think you looked at Taze as a draft eligible. He was a really good college player, not arguably even as good as Fantilli was. Fantilli won the Hobie Baker. That's an extremely rare feat for a first-year draft eligible. But I, I think of those two because they're about similar size centers, both good skaters, uh, both guys who compete really hard. I would say Fantilli, you know, Taze is an exceptional competitor. Fantilli uh, has that in him, and he has a, he's a very physical player. He, he runs guys over. He brings it every night. And he does that while bringing a ton of offense. Uh, he, he was you know, 
I think he led college hockey in points per game. And uh, to do that with that frame, uh, with good skating, uh, with a high compete level, I think is a, you know, he is a truly, uh, you know, all around hockey player with no noticeable weakness in, in, uh, in my mind in his game. And that's kind of what Taze was. Taze didn't score 90, 100 point seasons, but he was a very, when, in his peak when he was healthy, he was a very well-rounded hockey center. Would Adam Fantilli be your pick at number two? He would, yes. Like I said, I think could change um, mm-hmm. depending on how the next few weeks go at the Worlds. Uh, but right now, I, I think he is the guy. I, I think you know he just he che- there, there's not a lot of times you can say about a prospect that he checks every box. Frankly, I don't think even Connor Bedard checks every box. But there's there's just a skill gap there and a scoring gap there between the two players. But I think yeah, Fantilli is uh, is a really impressive pro prospect, one of the very best pro prospects I've seen over the last ten years. Now, Mitchkov, you have compared to Nikita Kucherov, and I know his scenario is a little interesting, too, because of right. his KHL contract and where he would be, when he'd be able to come to the NHL. But what is that comparison for you? Yeah, I just think, you know, you look at, at Mitchkov, his, his his pure skill and his hockey sense are both off the charts good. I, like he, he controls... Uh, the play when he's around the puck, uh, he's exceptional in the offensive zone and on the power play. Uh, you know, I think Kucherov skates a little bit better and, and is a little bit bigger, but there is, it's not just because they're both Russian wingers. I think there is actually a, a, some, you know, good rise between the two of them in, in their games. Uh, with Mitchkov, though, uh, I, I love the player. I think he's an exceptional hockey player, but yes, he is a uh, player that has signed for three full more years in the KHL, and with that comes obvious risks with the contract. Uh, with the ongoing war between Russia and, and, and Ukraine. And, and you have to have debates about the actual players that you could pick uh, as opposed to him as well. And it seems that since he wouldn't be able to come over to the United States and Canada to play soon, uh, do you think that could deter teams from being able to take him also because of maybe wanting more of an immediate impact guy? I do, because I think if you... You know, they compare him to, they say, Adam Fantilli. You ask, okay, what's the gap here in terms of talent? Even if you, some teams would say Fantilli is a better player. Some wouldn't. Even those who wouldn't, they would ask, okay, well, what's the difference? And I think even Mitchkov's biggest advocate would say it's mild at best, but you know Adam Fantilli is going to be playing for the Anaheim Ducks next season. And then the sizable Leo Carlson to Miko Rantanen as well. Right. And I use Miko Renton because, and, you know, he is a, a winger. And I think that's going to be an interesting debate with Carlson. Is he a wing or is he a center in the NHL? Mm. For almost all the last, say, 16 months, he has been a wing at the SHL level and with Sweden's international teams at the U18 and U20 level. Uh, but with the men's world's team, he might actually play center. So that'll be an interesting thing to see if, if he does that full time, how he handles that position. Uh, but I see a guy with similar size. I don't think either of them are amazing skaters, Rantanen or Carlson, but both have tremendous hockey sense, tremendous skill. They they compete very hard, and they have a lot of offensive abilities. And the last prospect I'd like to touch on is Will Smith, who you have compared to Evgeny Kuznetsov, and why is that? Uh, I just think you know Kuznetsov when he was a teenager was dynamic. I mean, I remember watching him with uh, Russia's international teams at U18, U20 levels, and he and he just jumped out to you with his skating, his skill, his playmaking, and that's what Smith is. You watch him in that 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 amazing U.S. line with Ryan Leonard and Gabe Perot, who I both expect to be very high draft picks 
this summer as well. And, and they just seem to create a highlight reel almost every single shift uh, with all the skill they had. And, and I thought Smith was the driving force of that line. Not surprisingly, as a center on that line, he skates well. I think he has some of the best set of hands in this draft. He's an extremely creative and instinctive playmaker and has a lot of natural scoring ability. Now, he is committed to play at Boston College next year. Do you foresee him going and playing an NCAA hockey? Yes, I do. And he's going to play actually with Leonard and Perot. So they might actually be able to reform that line at Boston College. And I think Boston College could be one of the very best teams in the NCAA next season for that reason. Now, the Ducks overall have six picks in the first three rounds of this draft. How much of an advantage do you think that gives them as far as developing that prospect pool? Yeah, I mean, it does. I mean, you always need, you know, as, as many high picks as possible when you're rebuilding because there's no such thing as a guaranteed pick, whether at the very top of the draft or later in the first or into the second. You need as, as many bullets as you can to hopefully find that one guy in the late first, early, mid-second that becomes a really good NHL player because uh, you, you can't really rebuild a team through just top five picks. Uh, so whether they use all those picks, whether they trade up or trade down, uh, you need that kind of capital. Uh, you look at any contender right now in the NHL, it's not all just top five, top ten picks. you got to find players elsewhere as well. Corey, thank you so much for joining us today on DuckStream. Sure thing. Thank you so much for having me. So another positive for the Anaheim Ducks this week. Well, the team made history and the Anaheim Ducks prospects have been racking up honors in their respective leagues. The Ducks became the first team in the NHL and Canadian Hockey League history to have a prospect named Defenseman of the Year in each of the three Canadian Hockey Leagues, the OHL QMJHL and the WHL. So the future of our blue line is looking pretty solid. Olin Zellweger earned it in the Western Hockey League. Pavel Minchikov earned it in the Ontario Hockey League. And Tristan Luno in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League rounded it out for Defenseman of the Year. Now, Zellweger was the sixth defenseman in WHL history to repeat as Defenseman of the Year. So pretty impressive all of their numbers, if you look at them from the season, have been outstanding. And we went through each of these prospects in our Anaheim Rising segments that we completed towards the end of this season and into this bit of the offseason as well. So if you'd like to hear more about those guys and some of their successes over their hockey career, you can check them out on Anaheim Rising on our Anaheim Ducks website or on our social media as well. So to switch gears a little bit now, of course, we have to go back and look at the current Stanley Cup playoff picture because things are kind of winding down in the second round and those conference finals are sort of taking shape almost, but not quite. We're waiting for a couple of the matchups still to finish out. So starting in the East today, the Florida Panthers and Toronto Maple Leafs, the Panthers almost swept the Maple Leafs as Florida had a 3-0 lead going into Game 4. A 3-0 series lead, that is something I did not expect to see from the Florida Panthers. They have been tearing it up in this postseason since they took down the President's Trophy-winning Boston Bruins. Now, Toronto did avoid the sweep, though, with a 2-1 close win on Wednesday at FLA Live Arena. So that series is going to be a little bit of a mountain to climb for the Maple Leafs as they try to stay in it, but I can imagine the Panthers will look to close that one out quickly. 
And then also in the East, this series is a little bit similar to the other one, the Carolina Hurricanes and New Jersey Devils. Carolina has been one of the more solid teams through this playoffs. And as of this recording today, they can knock the Devils out tonight, that being Thursday night to advance. And they're leading their series 3-1, so heading into game five. Similarly lopsided series to the other one in the East. Now in the West, it's a little bit of a different story. The Seattle Kraken and Dallas Stars has been a lot tighter and much more back and forth as the first two games were not very lopsided at all, but games three and four in this series were very one-sided. The series is tied at two. Similarly, to the Vegas Golden Knights and Edmonton Oilers, where they're tied at two right now as of this recording, like I've mentioned. And one thing I want to point out is that the Oilers and Golden Knights series is really heating up in their last game on Wednesday night. It ended in quite the scrum. Darnell Nurse getting a one-game suspension for starting a fight in the final minute of the game. So I'm curious to see how this one plays out because... The blood between those two teams is running high right now. So now for our second guest for today's show, he did expand further on the current playoff picture, plus some more on the NHL draft lottery. Like I mentioned, Craig Button, the director of scouting for TSN, chatted with us on Thursday morning this week to share his thoughts on the depth that Anaheim has in their prospect pool as well. Now, Button also touched on the Canadian Hockey League slash NHL record that the Ducks earned this week with an in-depth look at each of those up-and-coming players. Enjoy. We welcome on to Light the Lamp now, TSN analyst and director of scouting, Craig Button. Craig, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. A pleasure to join you on, on the Duck stream. It's always a pleasure to uh, talk to the passionate Ducks fans. <laughs> well, let's start, of course, by going back to the NHL draft lottery on Monday that happened this week. What was your initial reaction to how it played out? Well, I, I, I think what ends up happening is, is that you look at, uh, I mean, it takes luck, right? It takes luck to win the lottery. I mean, mm -hmm. you can do everything to give yourself the best odds, but you, at, at the end of it all, you have to have a, a, a measure of good fortune. And the Chicago Blackhawks were the ones that were able to have that measure. And, you know, when you, when you have a generational player and that's what i see Connor bedard as you know you, you, nobody wants to miss out on those players there's probably a little bit of a flashback here for anaheim fans in 2005 where Sidney crosby the generational player uh was the one entering the draft and you know a lottery was was performed and the, the ducks came in second in that one as well so what I would say is I think there's always a measure of excitement when you have this type of player and you're really hoping to get him. But it's not just about one player. And and you're and obviously one team gets a crack at Connor Bedard. And then after that, and where the Ducks find themselves, I think they find themselves in a, in, in a terrific spot because they're going to have a choice. Of, of some really good players. I mean, we can debate or discuss who, who those players are, but these are really, really good players. These are top-line players that the Ducks can look at, and certainly they'll have those discussions and, and come to a conclusion about who they want to select, but make no mistake about it. They are going to get a front-line top player that very well, in my view, 
is going to be destined for stardom in the NHL. And, you know, you look at some of the other Ducks players that they already have planned. I mean, they just did something that hasn't been done. I've never seen it happen. The defenseman of the league in the Western Hockey League, Owen Seliger, the defenseman of the league in the Ontario mm-hmm. Hockey League, Pavel Minchikov, and the defenseman of the year of the Quebec Major Junior League, Tristan Luneau, are all Ducks draft picks. <laughs> like, you know, and, and, and you have Jamie Drysdale, Cam Fowler, and, and there's other players that they have in their – so, you know, yeah, you look at these terrific young players uh, that are in the in the defense pool for the Ducks. Now you have some really good offensive players already playing on the team, and you're going to have a chance to draft a, another one here uh, with the second pick. I would say that uh, the days are looking very bright for the Anaheim Ducks. When you look at where the Ducks are picking at that number two spot, they kind of have the opportunity to set the tone for this draft. Who do you think would be your pick in this case if you were picking at number two and why? Yeah, you know, for me, like I see the next two players in the draft being Adam Fantilli and Leo Carlson, both both really good centers. Now, you look at the Anaheim Ducks lineup, you go, wait a second here. They got lots of centers. Well, you know, maybe Fantilli ends up being a left winger. Maybe you take somebody else and you put them on the wing. Maybe you take one of those centers and, and you're looking at, at, at different uh, uh, possibilities with respect to trade or whatnot. And, but but when, when I look at those players, I see top quality players. Fantilli has a game that reminds me a lot of Nathan McKinnon. Listen, Nathan McKinnon's a superstar. I'm not saying that he's Nathan McKinnon, but the speed he plays at, the pace he plays at, he plays with a with a real frenzy competitiveness, and he can score, and he can score quickly, and he can score in multiple Carlson just really big, strong playmaking center. And when you think about all the, the Ducks have and some of the skill they have on the wings, you know, somebody that can distribute the puck, somebody that can run the power play. You know, I, I'd compare Neil Carlson to uh, Nicholas Backstrom, mm-hmm. a, a, a terrific playmaking center with the Washington Capitals. Maybe I should change that and say maybe he's like Ryan Getzlaff. Ryan mm-hmm. Getzlaff was a great <laughs> playmaker. He he had a, he had an excellent shot, but he was known for his playmaking. His game was weighted towards playmaking. So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna talk about uh, Leo Carlson, I'm gonna talk about the Ducks. Maybe I got maybe I'll start using a, a Ryan Getzlaff <laughs> as, as that comparable type player. And we know what Ryan meant to the Anaheim Ducks. But those are the those are the two players that fit there. C- could you put Will Smith in the category? I think you could. Will Smith, to me, has a lot of what Mika Zibanejad has in his game. You know, really good, strong two-way play, can score, make plays. And then I, I, I guess the next one is what 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 where's the discussion on the Russian Matvey Mitchkov? You know, there's a lot of talk, talk that he might be close to Bedard. You know, I think what's happened is. The fact that people haven't been able to get into Russia to see him doesn't diminish his talent. Mm-hmm. But I think other players have shown that they're really good as well. So I, I think he has company in the discussion. But those would be the players that probably I would be looking at. Four players, the Ducks get to pick one. Yeah. Uh, if, if they picked any one of those players, I don't see how there could be anything wrong with the selection of, of each of them. Different players, but all players that I think have star quality. Of those players, do you think that one of them might have the ability to move the needle as we work on this rebuild with the Ducks? I think I think they all have the ability to move mm-hmm. the needle. So here, to me, now is the calculation. I think Fantilli can come in the league next year and play. Mm-hmm. 
you know, Mason McTavish, you, you know, came in and played as a, as a 19-year-old player. I think Fantilli can come in. He, he's physically mature. He just dominated college hockey, which is a really good test to turn right. pro in the NHL. I, I, Will Smith, I think, needs a, a, probably two years at uh, Boston College. Now, Trevor Zegers, you know, he was able to come in. and you know, but, but Trevor had his own types of growing pains. But, you, you know, those growing pains, you know, we're talking about a star player. Carlson, I absolutely think he needs another year over in Sweden. So so he now, you look at that. And Mishkov, you can't get him for three years mm-hmm. because his contract doesn't expire until 2026. So if, if you're the Ducks and Pat Verbeek is looking at this with respect to, okay, who can make the impact? Okay, what does this player, what area of the lineup does this player impact it? What, what do they give us? But what's the timeline? I think those are all really legitimate aspects to look at when you're looking at your selection. And again, waiting three years for Mishkov, I mean, you just have to prepare yourself that you're going to wait for for, for a player that you think can be a, a real significant part of your team. Getting Fantilli into the lineup next year creates a lot of excitement. You know, Connor Bedard. What I, I think they I think they've sold five million dollars in season tickets mm-hmm. since they announced that he was going to be uh, the you know the, the Chicago Blackhawks were going to have the first pick. And, you know, a big part of the equation, too, is is your fan base, you know, that where the team's at, trying to get support, trying to get excitement in your fan base to, to support you financially. So these these are all things that have to be discussed and, and, and I'm certain will be discussed. But, you know, they're, they're all different things about where you want them, uh, where it all lines up and where it all lines up for the Ducks. Luno's not ready to play next year. Zelliger is not ready to play next year. So waiting a year, people go, well, wait a second. If we, if we think Carlson is a better fit, we're prepared to wait a year. If you look at it and go, well, we think Mitchkoff could be that 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 star. We If they see Mitchkoff in the same category as Bedard, which was a discussion, you know, two years ago, mm-hmm. well, then maybe say, hey, it's worth waiting three years. But at the same time, everybody looks at it uh, a little bit differently from the lens of, of evaluation. But Again, those four players, and and there might be other ones that that the Ducks have in mind, but for me, those four players all can have a a, a real significant impact on the Ducks. You talked a little bit about it already, the Ducks having all of the defensive players of the year in the Canadian Junior Hockey Leagues. Um, How much does that speak to the prospect pool that the Ducks have ahead of their organization? Well, you need great blue liners, top mm-hmm. blue liners that can play, you know, the minutes, that can play the different roles. And Olin Zelliger is different than Pavel Minchikov, who's different than Tristan Luneau. But they all add qualities and elements to your team and attributes that make your team strong. You know, what, what, whether it be the, the, the really top-notch offensive abilities of Minchikov, because he's not just really good off. He can score. He can become part of the rush. You know, Zelliger runs the power play, you know, such a calm, cool, collected player, you know, with respect to the puck on his stick. And then Tristan Luneau, you know, the right shot defenseman that just smart with the puck, understands where the puck needs to go, regardless of where he's on the ice. You know, those players play in different spots in your lineup, but you need all those players. You know, we use the term check a box, check a box, check a box. Mm -hmm. Those three all check a box. And I... All the successful teams over the course of history all have defensemen that can check a box. And 
Chris Pronger, who was there in 2007 when they Stanley checked the box. Scott Niedermeyer, who was there in 2000, checked the box. They were different players. Mm -hmm. They're both Hall of Fame players, but they were different players. But they checked important boxes. I think those three defenders check important boxes. And then when you look at the Chicago Blackhawks now getting this number one pick in this upcoming draft, kind of switching gears a little bit. I know it was a little bit of a sore subject for Ducks fans and for some hockey fans as well, too. But how do you think that Connor Bedard could fit in with a team there in Chicago that has sold out so many of their assets over the last couple of years? Cal Davidson was very decisive in, in, in last summer when he said, hey, we're, we're, we're making a complete demolition of the team. Mm -hmm. and, and when I say complete, there was there was no half measures there. It was complete with the idea that this uh, where we're headed is going to have a new foundation and we're going to build around it. And, you, you know, you, you, they knew that Connor Bedard was part of that potential foundation. And now they now they now they have them. And but it's going to be a longer it's going to be a longer period of time that the young players they have are going to need time to mature and to develop. That's just the fact. But, you know, when you have when you when you draft a player like Connor Bedard, just like when the Penguins drafted Mayor Lemieux, when Penguins drafted Sidney Crosby, when Edmonton drafted Connor McDavid, it's not so much that you're going to compete contend for a Stanley Cup immediately. You're, you're, everybody's situation is different. But you now can start saying confidently that we can eventually become a Stanley Cup contender. That's what players, Bedard, McDavid, Crosby, Lemieux, do for your franchise. And that's that's where the disappointment comes. Oh, geez, we, we could have had him and what would have been. That's, but it's not the only way. It's right. not the only way. I mean, yeah, but that's what Connor Bedard does for the Chicago Blackhawks now. But the, the it's going to be a number of years. Can he go in and, and have success? Yes, because he's that good. But it's going to be a number of years for those younger players and some of the other moves that Kyle Davidson will eventually make before that team can even move in to contention status, let alone becoming legitimate. For a guy like Connor Bedard, having all of this hype around him and all the pressures that come with this draft this year, and now kind of knowing that likely he will be going to Chicago, how do you think he will be able to handle that kind of pressure? I mean, we've seen that in a lot of cases, obviously, with number one picks, but it almost seems like it's a little bit different this year. Yeah, I mean, the hype around Connor Bedard has been has, has been a long, long time coming, mm -hmm. and, and it's been there. But John Paddock, who, who's his coach in Regina, you know, Connor comes from Vancouver. Exceptional status ends up in Regina. The team wasn't very good. Connor immediately went in there and made that team better just because he's so good. But I, I, John said this to me last spring. He said, Connor Bedard's been in the spotlight since he was 12 years old, and there's no spotlight that's been too bright for him. Mm -hmm. Now, the NHL is the, is the biggest, brightest spotlight on the planet, and certainly he's stepping into that. But when you consider that he stepped into junior hockey at 15, dominated. Mm -hmm. Every international competition he went into, playing against players three and four and five years older than him in junior and three and four years older than him in, in the international competition, he, he didn't just go and, 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 and perform well. He dominated. Right. He was the best player. There was, there, was, he, there was nobody close to him. So when you, when you start to 
add all this up where he's been over the course of his career to, to date, he has been a player that has continuously shown that put me wherever you want, put me against wherever you want, and I am going to excel. Now, again, the NHL is a different animal. You, you, it's the best league on the, in, in the world. It's got great players that have been there for a long time. But he's going to come to Chicago, and he is going to be a, a really significant player for them. If he went to a different team, like if he went to the Ducks with, mm-hmm. with, with the talent around him, a Trevor Zegras, a Troy Terry, a Mason McTavish, you know, some, some good de- de- defenders around there, you know, c- could he have more success? Yeah, there's no question that he would. But his success is still going to be good, just like it was when he went to Regina. And as they fill out around him and build the team, that, that, that impact will grow. And, and certainly Connor Bedard will be a huge part of it. So also when you look at this upcoming draft, the Ducks have six picks in the first three rounds of it in addition to the next couple rounds afterwards. Uh, Is there any players outside of this first round that you can name that might be a good fit for the Anaheim Ducks? Yeah, I mean, I I could name any number of players, Alexis. I mean, mean, it it really comes down to, you know, when you have that many picks, and and this is – this is something that's a real positive for 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 a hockey uh, team and and their scouting staff. You know, you, you you look at one pick in the first round and you go, okay, uh, who do we really want to zero in on? And then mm-hmm. you get into later in the first round, into the second and third rounds, and you're okay. We got one pick. We got to make really good on it. Well, now you're always looking at a pool of players, and now you can look at that pool and go, okay, we can get that player here, and we get that player here, and we get that player here, and Adding players, and, and and I think last year was a good example of it. You know, they draft Noah Warren, and they draft Tristan Luno. They're, you know, they're really paying attention to the draft. They draft Minchikoff, you know, they, they draft uh, Nathan Gaucher. You know, so, you know, you're looking at Minchikoff, and then they get Gaucher, and then they get Warren, and then they get Luno. You know, you have four picks. Those were all two first-round picks and, and two second-round picks. You know, they're looking at a pool of players and a type of player, but they don't have to drill down to the point where, oh, no, we got that guy. And you're, and you're kind of, I don't know if you're hedging, but you're like, oh, I wish we could have got that player. Mm-hmm. Now they can get the players they really, really want. And I think opportunity arises to, to really build out your organization with different types of players. And I think, I, I think if there's any area where I would look at with the Ducks, that maybe they might want to look to, and, and it'll depend on how the draft starts to unfold. It's in goaltending. Hey, listen, John Gibson has been terrific. For the, I think getting a goaltender, and I think there's three really good goaltenders that I would say could go anywhere from 20 to 50. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. 20 uh-huh. to 50. So if you're and, and three that I think are really good, and 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 the names are Carson Bjarnason, Michael Rabel, and Trey Augustine. So it like now all of a sudden you can get a young goaltender in your system, a young goaltender. And I think all those goalies have, have the potential to be number ones. Remember, Don Gibson was a second round draft pick. Mm-hmm. And I think all those goalies, that would be those would be three names and the three names of the goalie that I, if I was zeroing in, there's so many forwards. And, and then there's a whole group of defensemen. I would say there's about a dozen defensemen. I, I'm having a tough time d- d- differentiating. Like they all have qualities, but who do I, who do you, who do you like more? Do you like that? Well, maybe I like that player for this. Maybe I like that player for that. 
And I think that that's part of the evaluation that goes on. So I think there's too many to name, but I'll go to the goaltending. And I think that where I evaluate and I see three clear-cut number one goaltenders potentially, that's where I think with the extra picks, that's where they could really say, hey, that's our guy we're getting. Mm -hmm. Well, before we get to the draft later this summer, we have to finish up the Stanley Cup playoffs that are happening right now. And one of the teams that has been very hot through this playoffs has been the Florida Panthers getting past the Bruins and then almost sweeping Toronto, but Toronto finding their way back into it. Do you think that the Maple Leafs will be able to continue putting up a fight to stay in the playoffs? I, I, I think Alexis is the, 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 the perfect the perfect continue the fight. That's what they have to do. There's no other. They have no other choice. They have mm -hmm. to continue the fight. They have to prolong it. And and obviously they did that by winning game four. Well, now they got to go and win game five, and that prolongs it. You, you know, the, the, we know where the Florida Panthers finished, and their AC that upsets the best season ever through the NHL. And people go, oh, well, they're AC. Once you win a playoff series, in, the, in, in this case, the first round, and you beat the best team in the National Hockey League, mm -hmm. you're no longer an A seed. You're, you're a team that is firing on all cylinders. You've got your game in order, and, it, and it's really, really strong. And, and I, quite frankly, I think that the Toronto Maple Leafs got surprised by that. Yeah. And, and now, now they gotta, now they got to kind of find a way to climb back into it. You only do it, you know, one game at a time. They did it in game four. Here's the thing where I think, and, and the odds, we know what the odds are. The odds are very, very low for the Leafs to be able to come back. But what concerns me more about the Leafs isn't that they had a, a terrific game four. That's only their second game out of 10 in this year's playoffs where, 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 I, where I could say they played a really good game start to finish. Mm -hmm. That means that you haven't been able to, to, even though they won their first round series versus Tampa Bay, I don't think they've been a consistent team at a high level. And that's what they got to, they got to turn that to make it two games in a row. They've only done two out of 10 in my view to this point. Now they got to make it two in a row. I think the challenge for Toronto is within. And, and yes, they have a really good team they're playing against. I'm not sure that they, uh, you know, be able to muster up that type of an effort, that type of a grinding effort. In, 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 in two consecutive games, let alone four. You talk about playing at that high level consistently for a team. Is there one in the postseason that you feel has been playing like that consistently? I would have to say right now it's Carolina. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Carolina went into the playoffs. They knew they didn't have Patrick Reddy, who they lost during the regular season. And they lost Svechnikov right at the end of the season. Then they lost Taravine and three really good offensive players. Right. Three offensive players that can make a difference in tight games, one goal. That's all you need sometimes. And those guys could deliver. And I know myself, you know, I really love the way the Carolina Hurricanes play. I love I love what Rob Brindamore has done in there. I, I, you know what? I, I didn't give them enough. Uh, credit for being able to overcome the loss of those three offensive players, really good offensive players. But what I've seen from them is, is just a complete team effort. And th the game starts and the puck drops to, to open up the game. And until that game ends, they are after it. They're on it. They're, they're, they're tenacious. They're aggressive. Mm -hmm. And to me, they're the team that has shown me they are the most consistent team right now. Look at Edmonton and Vegas, just that series. I mean, the Vegas great in game one, 
bad in game two, and 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 the the the, the roles were reversed for Edmonton. Game three and four, exactly the same thing from games one and two. So, you know, now, okay, what are we going to get in game five? Dallas gets blown out by the Seattle Kraken, and then they have a great game. I don't know what to expect there. And certainly right now, you know, with the uh, Florida Panthers and the Toronto Maple Leafs, again, a little bit of uncertainty. And the only uns- the only certainty that I see right now is is the way the Carolina Hurricanes are playing. Well, Craig, thank you so much for joining us today on DuckStream. Enjoy the rest of the playoffs and the draft. No, I will. And thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Like I said, I really enjoyed the insight from both of our interviewees this week. Now it's time for my final quack for this episode, where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. To wrap things up this week, I want to give a congratulations to our own Kevin Shattenkirk, who has been named the Ducks nominee for the 2022-23 King Clancy Memorial Trophy. The trophy is given to the player who best exemplifies leadership qualities on and off the ice and has made a noteworthy humanitarian contribution in his community. Really excited for Shaddy as it is quite an honor. Thank you so much for listening to Light the Lamp today, wherever you are listening from. I am Alexis Downey. Come back again next week for more Hockey Talk on DuckStream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on DuckStream.